Before I go into the message, I would like to say thank you to the youth for stopping in last evening and singing some songs with us. We enjoyed that tremendously. You can certainly come and do that again when you have opportunity. Also, the uh, gift basket you gave us, thank you for that. Whoever was involved in that, God bless you for that. Last Sunday, we looked at the great, greatest commandment, we called it. First commandment, the greatest commandment. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Taken from Mark chapter 12, verse 30 and 31. Now, this morning, I'd like to continue that thought a little bit, but notice more so what Jesus said was the second commandment, which is like it. Namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So you have these two commandments. The first, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the second, Jesus said, is, is right with it. And that is that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Another place he said that on these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. In other words, all summarized and bound up in the meaning of what it means to be a, a, a child of God, a part of the family of God, is understanding these two greatest commandments. So thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now there's other verses that we will look at or could look at. I don't necessarily, we won't turn to them, but the one is what we call the golden rule sometimes. And that is that, as ye would that men should do to you, do ye so to them likewise. It is interesting, from that verse, that we are so good at knowing how people should treat us, that Jesus uses that standard to say, that's how you should go treat someone else. We're really good at knowing how people ought to treat us, right? We're pretty sensitive to that. We're pretty quick to feel a little put down or intimidated or shunned or ignored or or whatever. We feel that pretty quick. We have a pretty quick feeling of how, you know, they should have treated me, could have treated me. And Jesus said, all right, since you're so good at understanding that, that's a good measuring stick on how to treat other people. That ties in, I think, also to this thought of loving thy neighbor as thyself. Jesus also, or I should say, in the scriptures, Paul also referred to this concept in relation to, um, in Philippians there, in relation to, um, uh, well, let's just turn to it. Philippians. Um, I didn't have this reference down. Philippians 2, verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. 
And then he talks about, the, let this mind be in you. And so there you have this, the thought in relation to esteeming other better than ourselves. And looking at every man on his own things. Don't just think about yourself, but every, but every man also on the things of others. Don't be selfish in those relationships, but to esteem other people better than ourselves. So that, that also ties into this concept in relation to loving our neighbor as ourselves. Now, first of all, we're not going to necessarily go into the whole neighbor aspect. Uh, that would be uh, probably valuable to a point uh, in relation to... Uh, but I would say this, that Christ, as Christians, we should always seek to be good, to have good, respectable relationships with our neighbors, literal neighbors. You know how it's considered almost a classical negative in society to have trouble with neighbors. Oh, yeah, you know, that's the neighbors. You know, that attitude. But as, as, a Christian, as a Christian people, yeah, some neighbors are more difficult than others to get along with, probably. We know that. But, but really, we ought to have a good relationship with our neighbors. And um, as a Christian, we give in, we give up our rights, you know, to someone else. We defer to them. Um, they can be demanding sometimes, but, you know, but we ought to seek to have good relationship with our neighbors. Love your neighbors as yourselves. But this morning I would like to think a little more in relation to um, the whole idea of friendship and relationships in friendship. And I think that this is something that we need to hear from time to time because there's always that tendency in human relationships to at times have some frictions and have some, some irritation build up in human relationships and that can affect uh, brotherhood relationships, family relationships. And it's just good at times to stop and take a look at what the scriptures really say to us about friendship, about relationships. Now, um, back to the whole idea of, of neighbors, before we move on to the idea of friendship. You remember how that Jesus there clearly taught in the story of the Good Samaritan that um, when that, uh, the man said to, to Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave him that story of the one who was going down to, uh, to Jericho and fell among thieves, and um, we call it the story of the Good Samaritan. And so really, anyone that is in need, anyone that you can help along the way is our neighbor. And that's really the essence of that story that Jesus taught there, able to help or assist in some way. And again, I want to say to the youth and the youth leaders here, you know, what you did yesterday afternoon in our community is a powerful statement. We don't do it to receive praise of men, but you're doing it because as a, as a, as a Christian, as a people of God, we are to be the hands and the feet of Christ. And um, we talked a little bit about this when the youth were at our place last night, but to be the hands and feet of Christ and what, did, what was the legacy of Christ's life? Well, they said of Christ that he went about doing good. He went about doing good. So when there was someone that had a disease or someone that was crippled or someone that was deaf or dumb and they couldn't speak and things like that, what did Jesus do? He healed them. If there was faith enough in their hearts, he healed them and cleansed them and set them free from the chains of sin and darkness in their, in their life. He went about doing good. 
there's a, there's a part of, I believe, evangelism that has often been overlooked in many over the years in exactly that type of service to the community. Random, anonymous, as much as you can, but to be the hands and feet of Christ, that will touch hearts as much or more than standing on the street corner preaching or singing. I'm not saying those don't have a place. They do have a place. But to touch people's hearts where their need is. This world is so sparse with basic kindness and help. The amount of lonely people in this world is staggering. And, and so I just want to commend you as young people, as youth leaders, for doing that. Maybe we could even do more of it. But, but there's something about that that is, you know, to go help rake the leaves or buy that person gas or pay for groceries or whatever, all the things you did to be the hands and feet of Christ to a suffering world is a testimony and is a witness. Love your neighbor as yourself. I'd like to look at this now from the perspective of friendship, from the perspective of relationships. You know, we, we enjoy friends. We have friends. It's an encouraging word. We enjoy them. God made us to be social beings, to relate to, to people close to us. It begins in the social level or life of, the, of a family unit. And then from the family unit, as children get older, it spreads out. In, uh, in friendships with others as well. God made us to be social in that way. It's part of us being made in the image of God. God is social. He wants fellowship. He enjoys fellowship. And he desires that, and so do we. Now, there are different levels of social needs. I'm just going to say this in the beginning of the message. Some, enjoy having, some people enjoy having people around a lot. Others enjoy more quiet time and more to themselves. God did not make us all the same in relation to, to our social needs or our social levels. Um, you probably know that I'm more of an, extra, an introvert than an extrovert. Um, but that's, you know, that's the way we're made. doesn't mean that we can't change some of that and push ourselves out or pull ourselves back depending on our, our personalities. That's, I find that very interesting, the way God made all the personalities in the world. But you know, an, an extrovert in a crowd of people, for them to be in a crowd of people, it energizes them. Have you ever noticed that? Like I say, I'm not an extrovert, so a crowd of people does not energize me. Although I would say that I have learned to be energized by a crowd of people, especially in the responsibility of sharing the word. To have a listening audience, there's a certain energy that goes with that that I believe is God-given, especially for someone like me who would tend to be very much an introvert if I was not, if I'm not careful. Um, but for an extrovert, on the or, or someone that is quite an extrovert, being in a crowd of people just energizes them. It's just like that's really what gets them going. Where an introvert in a crowd of people, they feel drained after a while. They need to have some space. You understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, 
It's just the difference of people. It's uh, the way God made us. We're not all made the same. Um, <clears throat> so in that difference, or in those differences, we can push ourselves. We can change some of that. We do. But we also need to respect those differences and not act like there's something wrong with someone else who uh, may be different than, than what we are. One of my very good friends, um, who I, we spend time with sometimes, not from this area at all, when in traveling, say like traveling with, with him, I find that the difference between him and I are, is quite interesting. We'll be in an airport, and I'll be sitting maybe content to read a book or something or visit with family that's traveling with us. And he's off running around talking to pure strangers all over the airport. It's just not me. I, I look at that and I admire that. I would just like wish I could be more that way. He can strike up a conversation with anybody. You know, it's just like, and he seems to enjoy it. Well, I know he enjoys it. But what I'm saying is that there is those, those differences, but to learn from that, you know what I mean? And there's sometimes that some of that can almost rub you the wrong way. But I'm sure that I rub him the wrong way sometimes too, with being so you know more timid and quiet and not being that extrovert and out talking to everybody. Um, so a couple of years ago, I went through a leadership training with work, uh, work in relation to business leadership, and it was interesting to have done a personality study ahead of time that we each had to do before we got there for the three-day seminar. And we were all classed with uh, whether we were from on the scale of extrovert to intro introvert. I was just off of center a little bit on the introvert side, which made me feel better than the poor fellow down at the far end who was the extreme introvert. who could hardly talk with that many people in the room. And um, it's just interesting to compare, you know, the, the, how people view that. So what I'm, the point I'm making is God did not make us all the same. And that will affect how we relate in friendship. And those who are more of an introvert, you know, are satisfied with fewer friends, but very close, loyal friends. Those who are more extrovert will have probably a lot more friends in a way, at least that they, they relate to. So, we, again, we can change some of that as we um, apply ourselves. Now, I'd like to think for a while of the, uh, what the Bible teaches about friendships and relationships. And uh, let's turn to the book of Proverbs. You probably figured that we'd end up here. Proverbs has a lot to say about relationships, about friendships. Proverbs 18 and verse 24. I want to think about this first principle of, for friendships. It says, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. Good friendships are reciprocal. Did you ever feel that you were kind of on, on the one side of a, of a friendship? Or maybe I should say it was like a one-sided friendship. 
you kind of wanted to be friends with this person, but you didn't. You kind of got the feeling that person didn't really, didn't really need you, or didn't really have a lot of time for you, or you know, it just it's like you tried to be friendly, but it just seemed like it wasn't reciprocated. Whatever the reasons are for that, but what I'm saying is, <coughs> a good friendship will be reciprocated. It's it's back and forth. Uh, you think about, and we came through that in our Sunday school lessons recently, about the friendship of David and Jonathan. That was a reciprocated relationship. It was, it was back and forth. There was a blending of hearts and spirit there that was, made that connection. Good friendships take personal involvement. They, take, they will take time and effort. That is true not only in family life and husband and wife relationship and parent-child relationship, Brotherhood relationships in the brotherhood it will take personal involvement. Good friends are won through, um, through, through uh, a building of relationship. Good friendships are never bought. There are times that people try to buy a, a friendship. To somehow, you know, um, the idea of I, I did you a favor, now you need to do me a favor. That always bothers me because it is true that we want to return good for good or kindness for someone that has been kind to us. That is true. But if we're actually keeping track to the point that, okay, now it's your turn. Is that a gift? Is that a gift of friendship? Yes, I think we, you know, we want to, I'm saying it's never wrong to, or always wrong to keep track of something, but but when it's like, you know, it's, it's why Jesus said, you know, don't just invite your friends over. Go invite someone off the street, you know, that, that, that doesn't have the opportunity like your friends would. Invite them in for a meal. And that's what Jesus was pointing out was, you know, to, to help someone and to be kind to someone that can't return the favor because there's a blessing in that. That, that God understands that God will give, give to us. And so part of this is then to reach out to, to strangers. The other part of this, I think, is that a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. I would just like to say here, too, that in, in a group of people, especially when we're new in a group of people, newer in a group of people, don't try to be accepted. Now, there's a part of us that always wants to be accepted, in a, in, a, in a circle of friends or family or brotherhood or whatever it is. You, there's, a, there's always that inbred desire in us to be accepted. We want to be accepted. But what happens is when we try to be accepted, because we want to be accepted, you spoil it. And the very thing that we want and we try to have backfires on us. And I've, I've see, seen this happen over and over again. You probably have too. While there is that in, in part, our in, in, inner desire to be accepted by those of our friends or our peers, the important thing is that if we are just be our honest, friendly, respectable, respectful self to everyone, 
then this whole thing of fitting in or being accepted will not even be an issue. You won't even think about it. But when we try to force the issue, we try to push the issue to be accepted, we start doing things that many times can be actually foolish. And it actually causes us to be a bigger misfit than what we even think we are because we're trying to force something rather than just to be, like I said, our unselfish, honest self and friends with everyone. And then this whole fitting in thing is not an issue. And right with that then, don't play the victim game, which sometimes we're tempted to. And I've been there. I was a quiet, a very quiet youth. I already told you that I was an introvert. And so I was often on the sidelines. I know the feeling of what felt like rejection at times. But in that whole thing, never play the victim game. Never say, well, they just don't accept me. That will destroy the, the, the foundation for good relationships. Then for sure you're going to be a misfit. Then for sure you're not going to feel a part of, of, of the group. And, and because the whole thing of the victim card or the victim game is essentially selfish and vindictive towards others. Those who are, um, what I found is that there, there's that, there's that um, what I'm saying is it's a contradiction. And what we try to force or try to make happen actually works against us and causes the very thing that we're trying to avoid. So we, let's be careful in that. A man that hath friends must show himself friendly. So when we're tempted to just to run and hide and just forget about everybody else, let's be careful in that. If we're more of an extrovert, then there's a place to pay attention to those who are more quiet. It's like that business conference I was talking about in relation to personality. They said... So you're sitting around a conference table, and this would apply to church life too at times. You're sitting around a conference table, and uh, who's talking? Well, the extroverts are talking, right? And who's doing the thinking? The tendency is to think, well, it's the introverts that are doing the thinking because they're not talking, right? And they had this whole thing set up, and the two teams were talking about this. Of course, the idea of the introverts was, you know, if the extroverts would just stop talking once, the rest of us could think and finish our, our thought, and then we could say something. Of course, the extroverts said, we can think and talk at the same time, which the introverts aren't always sure that works. But um, and the extroverts said, well, if you would just say something, why did you wait till the end of the meeting to finally, you know, spit out your, the best idea yet? And uh, it's, it's interesting, and, and I see that in church life sometimes. I see that in brotherhood relationships sometimes. You know, I see it in brothers' meetings sometimes. You probably don't think I'm an, an introvert in brothers' meetings, but because I sometimes talk too much. But but you understand what I'm saying? It's um, it's that relationship. All right, let's go to the second one, Proverbs 17 and verse 17. Proverbs 17 and verse 17. A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. 
Here, I think, is the principle that, that true, genuine friendship is, you can count on it. A friend loveth at all times. They're not wishy-washy. Good friends are consistent. They're not just what we call fair-weather friends. And you as young people understand this, well, all of us will understand it, but you, you know what I mean when I say that, you know, it seems like some friends, supposed friends, you know, they, they want your friendship or they show some friendliness to you when their better friends are not, are not here and so they're, they need somebody to talk to, so they'll, they'll make you feel like you're their friend today. But, you know, as soon as, you know, the better friends, in quotes, come around, well, then you're just ignored. You, know, that, you were just needed for that particular time when they had no one else to visit with or talk to. Sometimes we call that fair weather friends. Or, um, you know, where it's not consistent. The, um, you know, there's a sense of loyalty that is needed for friendships to deepen. A sense of loyalty. And, and in that relationship, where a friend loveth at all times through thick and thin, do we ever disappoint our friends? Do we ever let them down? Yes, but you understand how a good friend is. Maybe you don't, haven't seen him for a while, but you know that, that close friend, that loyal friend, you can just pick up that conversation almost where you left off. It's just because you maybe hadn't seen him for six months or a year or five years, that you sort of just pick up the conversation where you left off. Because you're friends. You, there, there's a bond there. There's a relationship there. You don't have to start the whole introduction and all that all over again. So there's that sense of loyalty, and that means that friendships can deepen because there's that maturity there. Sometimes, um, you know, you think about a friend loveth at all times. A brother is born for adversity, which means that there is also going to be that helpfulness. You know, there's times when a person goes through some deep waters, some deep struggles, a true friend is going to be there. And what is sad is, and you see this in society, not only in the relation to friendships, but, you know, where uh, maybe someone, say a husband or a wife, they get terminal illness, they get cancer or something, or they have a stroke, or something happens to them physically, and their partner, after a while, they leave. They don't want to be a part of that. They don't want that person, that person's illness, that person's adversity to affect their lives. You say, that's, that's terrible, and it is terrible. But that's just a, an extreme illustration of what I'm saying in relation to friendship. There's times that maybe you have a friend or we have embarrassed someone, embarrassed our friends by some failure or something in our lives. But a friend is going to be there. He's going to be there to help walk us through it, stand side by side. That's because a true friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. With that, then, is also this thought in relation to, and maybe it's not directly related to this verse, but um, that it, 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 it's connected in the sense of loyalty. That sometimes there are immature people 
who are basically just like the last person they were with. Have you ever noticed that? That's their mindset. The last person they were with, that's what, how they think. And that's how they, until they meet some, the next person, and then, oh, that's, that's how they think. That, that's, that's what they say. Um, let's be careful that we are genuine ourselves. We appreciate the influence of other people in our lives. But let's be sure that we have that maturity in our relationships. All right, let's turn now to Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. This verse is pretty clear in relation to associations. We can say it's the law of association. We will become like those that we associate with. That's why here the proverb writer says, don't you know, don't make, make friends with someone like an angry man. Someone that has sin in his life. Someone that is, has a problem. Now you can say, well, shouldn't we be friends with everyone? And we should. We want to help everyone. But what it's saying is that how we choose our friends says something about our own character. And also, it also says something about what we will become. It's the law of association. And that is that we become, in general, we become like those we associate with. This is not at the exclusion of people that need help, that need, you know, the Savior, need salvation for their sins. It's not that we push them away and do not have any relationship with them. But who we pick for our closest friends says something about ourselves. And I'd just like you to stop now with me and just think for a little bit. Each of us about our own selves, your own heart. What kind of people are you attracted to in relation to friendship? Who do you find, what kind of person do you find it the easiest to be around, to be with? Who would you enjoy the most spending this afternoon with? What kind of a friend would, would it be? Think about that. Quality time, enjoyable time with someone. Who would it be? First of all, that says something about what kind of person you are, whoever that person is. It says something about what kind of person you are. Because who you choose, who you feel the most comfortable with, and who you would like to be with the most, tells you a lot about your own character. And also, right with that, with the law of association, it means that you will, if you keep spending time with that kind of person, you will become more like them. I'm not talking about, again, evangelism and all of that and preaching the gospel to the poor. I'm, not, I'm talking about close, close friends. We all in our lives, each of us, has people that we look up to, we kind of admire, 
We kind of like to be with them. They make us feel good. We have enjoyable times, supposedly, with them. Proverbs says, make no friendship with the kind of people that are going to destroy you. Lest thou learn their ways and becomes a snare to your soul. We could turn here and notice also what Proverbs says in relation to those who are foolish and go down the road of sensuality and sexual perversions and all those things. And that also says it's a snare. It's like laying hold on hell. It has to do with association. So who we have as our close friends will be an index of who we are. What kind of people are you attracted to? Who do you want to be like? Who are your heroes? All right, let's turn to Proverbs 17 again and verse 9. Seventeen verse nine. He that covereth a transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. This is an interesting verse as it relates to friendship and relationships. First of all, I believe that when it says he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. I think we can illustrate that in a very simple way. When you have, you could say maybe in a marriage relationship or maybe in a courtship relationship, where that relationship has blossomed and there's a, that a respectful relationship with each other and the fear of God, there's an overlooking of the other person's weakness. There's an overlooking of the other person's blemishes, you could say. We're not perfect. And that's in that sense, because love is powerful and respect is powerful. Loyalty is powerful. And, and in, in all of that is, um, is, is that covering, not necessarily of sin. It's not meaning that, I don't believe, as much as it, it simply means that if you really love someone, whether a husband really loves his wife or a wife really loves her husband, I'll use this for an illustration, you don't go around to other people and, and exploit what you know are their weaknesses and flat sides. You just don't do that. That's where love covereth transgression. Love covereth those, those things. We accept them about each other. We know it, but it's really not that big of an issue. And so he, he that covereth a transgression seeketh love. If you want a close friendship, if I want close friendship with others, and I want them to share with me in a confidential way, you know, and have that, that deep love, loyalty, relationship with, each, with them, I'm going to have to be confidential in what I know about, about you or you know about me. And if I go and exploit that, 
you think you're going to feel good about coming and sharing some more confidential things with me? You think that friendship is going to deepen? He that covereth the transgression seeketh love. There are things that just don't, do not need to be said. And it's, it, it's the way it is in, in any close relationship. But he that repeateth the matters separateth very friends. Again, there's a confidentiality in close friendship that must be respected. And if someone can't keep a secret, you're going to have a hard time keeping a close friend. Because it says here, just like it says, he that repeateth the matter, separateth very friends. It just will drive you apart. And so true friends will be able to see beyond what we are or what, what they are. True friends will see beyond that. And see beyond those flat sides, those blemishes, as it were, and those things that weaknesses, you could say. And but un, in all of that, they will understand what we want to be as a person, what our aspiration is. And a good friend then will help us to attain that aspiration and be that better person. I think it also, there's a point here, though, to remember. I think if someone ever comes and says, I'm going to tell you something, if you promise you will never, never tell anyone else. I think it's important not to fall for that. I think we can assure someone in a situation like that that we will be as confidential as we absolutely can be. But to never make a promise that we will never, never tell anyone. In the sense that that's not even, would not even being a good friend. Because sometimes there are some deep struggles that someone may have, and they may, they may, need, they may need help. They may need more help than, than we could give them. You know, I think we need to be discreet, we need to be careful, but never promise something that we would, would actually be hurtful to that person and, and would keep us or keep them from getting the help that they really need. Now, there's another part of this in relation to covering a transgression and seeketh love. He that repeateth the matter separateth the very friends. The Bible also talks a lot about tail-bearing. And it's interesting. I went through some of these scriptures, and I found them quite fascinating. When you think about how the scripture just, one time after another, just talks about tail-bearing. I'm just going to read these for you. Leviticus 19.16 Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people. I am the Lord. Thou shalt not go up and down as a tail-bearer among thy people. Proverbs 11.13 A tail-bearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. That's very similar to what we just read earlier in Proverbs 17.9. He that covereth transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth a matter separateth very friends. And here, um, a talebearer revealeth secrets, but he that is of a faithful spirit concealeth the matter. We talked about confidentiality. Some people have a harder time keeping secrets than other people. And I can almost assure you that some, anybody that has a hard time keeping a secret has a very, very difficult time having a close friend. 
I'll just guarantee it. Proverbs 18.8. The words of a talebearer are as wounds. They go down into the innermost parts of the belly. A very deep hurt. Sometimes we call, talk about a deep hurt. That's what that would be referring to. Proverbs 20 and verse 19. He that goeth about as a talebearer revealeth secrets. Therefore, meddle not with him that flattereth with his lips. Have you ever felt that somebody was trying to befriend you to get information about a situation? Do you ever feel that? You just somehow just, you just get this feeling that the Bible talk calls it flattery, but it's just, it's just trying to get you to say some things that you probably shouldn't say. It says a talebearer will do that. Don't meddle with him that flattereth with his lips. I've, I've seen this happen where someone pretended that they knew something more than what they did to somehow get some information out of somebody by making them assume that they knew about the situation when they actually didn't. I mean, they knew a bit, a bit about it, but they pretended to know details about something that happened to get the other person to assume that they were in that loop of information when actually they weren't. I'm not sure I'm making myself clear. You understand what I'm saying? I've been caught in that already. Proverbs 26.20 Where no wood is, there the far go without. I, I love that simple illustration. If you don't put wood on the far, it's going to die down and it's going to go out. It's going to get cold, right? Where no wood is, there the far go without. Very simple illustration. And then he says, So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. In friendships, in relationships, Let's not be the people that are throwing wood on the fire. Sometimes we say it's like throwing gas on the fire. You know, fueling this thing. Let's just stop it. Whenever we're tempted to keep something going. Where there's no wood, the fire goes out. Where there's no tail bearer, the strife ceaseth, stops. One more, Proverbs 6.19 Talks about the seven things that God hates. Then the last two are a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. There are people, and I, I can't say I fully have, uh, I mean, I've tried, I think, but understand how their, their mind works. But they get a certain pleasure out of driving wedges between people. And they get a certain pleasure out of, of, uh, of people of pitting people against each other. I guess they enjoy watching the frustration and the fight or whatever. But, but there's people get a, sometimes get a carnal, a carnal satisfaction out of watching that happen. 
It's part of being the whole idea of being a talebearer, but it sows discord. It, it, it divides friends. It, it separates. The Bible talks about that very clearly, that that is not a part of, of a God-fearing relationship. So we must be also, uh, I think, on guard today, not only in the whole idea of talebearing with our words, but I would just drop this into this, and that is that we must guard against the increased opportunity that technology has provided to be a talebearer. It's at our fingertips, and we need to be very careful because we can do that so quickly, so easily in today's world. Proverbs 27, 6. Let's look at a couple more here now. Proverbs 27, 6. It says, Faith are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. A true friend will at times tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want, we want to hear. Because it says that, you know, the kisses of an enemy may be simply a supposed friend making us feel good, even when they know we're wrong. Now, you and I don't like conflict. Most of us do not like conflict. We don't like to address things. Even with a close friend, you say, well, I just don't want to hurt them. You know, I don't want to tell them. I just don't want to hurt them. What about the kisses of an enemy? Versus the wounds of a friend? You see how that works? You know, to be gushy or sweet to someone's face, yet say things behind their back to someone else, that's hypocrisy. And it will kill friendships, it will kill relationships. It's wrong. But the wounds of a friend, that's worth something to us. There can be, in each of us, the whole thing of us you know, shying away from that close friend that actually is going to be honest with us and tell us the truth. We say, oh, how you, you hurt me so bad. You know, really? They were only trying to probably help us, and they probably were showing us something that we probably should know or would be the best if we did know. Faith for the wounds of a friend. That's, we need to be open ourselves to the insight and perspectives of our friends maybe at times you know in our lives we just need to go to someone and say well you know what what would you say is my weakness in relationships or what would you say is my weakness in in friendships and and open ourselves to them we have a good friend we can do that with in confidentiality open ourselves and take those wounds as the wounds of a friend because they're there to help us we shy away from that. I shy away from that. Proverbs twenty-seven, seventeen, same chapter, a little further down. Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Sort of the same idea we were just talking about. Conversation increases knowledge and understanding. The mutual sharing from our hearts, our insights, and so on. It's an enriching experience when we can compare ourselves and. In, in the sense of, of to a friend who is, is there to help us and to guide us. The best of our friends should not always agree with us. They should not always agree with us. And they're also going to be there to tell us that, you know what, I don't think you're thinking right about this. Have you ever thought about this? 
This is what it's looking like. This is how it's coming across. That's a help to us. That's iron sharpening the iron. As a friend sharpens the countenance of his friend. Verse 19. As in water face answereth to face, so the heart of man to man. You look in a pool of water, you see your reflection. It's like in a mirror. Good friends help us to see ourselves and what we really are like. Like looking into a mirror, looking into that quiet pool of water, is like face answereth to face. Being a good friend requires humility. And um, I just thought of this in relation to the society, the time in which we live today. You know that digital friends are not friends. Uh, you can say, let's play at words. If you just have digital friends, you don't really have friends, in quotes. This whole thing of, you know, someone says, oh, yeah, it's a friend. I've got so many likes. You know, I've got all these friends in social media. Are they the kind of friends that face answers to face? You see? That's why I say that if it's just a digital friend, it's not a true friend. It's not a friend. Not in, the, not in these terms. I, would, I think we should call them associates. That's what I think we should call them. They're your, they're, they're your associates. But not really friends. A true friend is going to speak face to face. There's going to be that relationship that's face answers to face. In that pool of water. There's that closeness. Looking each other in the eye. Seeing the expressions on the face. That you cannot see in, in, in a digital friendship. Real friends, we can simply say, I believe, are face-to-face friends. Two more yet, quickly. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen: Withdraw thy foot from the neighbor's house, lest he be weary of thee, and so hate thee. That's a good one. Wasn't it Benjamin Franklin that said that fish and company both stink after three days? There'd be a lot of ways we could apply this. I'm going to apply it this way. We must respect the privacy and personal space of our friends. Even the very best of friends need some space. Even in a close marriage relationship, there has to be a personal respect for each other and a certain amount of personal space for each other. Even in the closest of, of, of relationships. And I think that's true in relation to all of friendships. So we must respect the personal privacy, personal space of our friends. Good, mature friends will understand this need for personal space and, not, and, and will not infringe on it. There's a time to go home. I don't think we have that problem here. I think we enjoy visiting, but you know, I'm sure you've had friends that you just, maybe from a distance or something, that you just weren't sure what. And I think it's something to... To think about even when we go, go someplace. This is a practical area. If you go someplace to visit, maybe let them know what your plans are. You know, someone comes, you go somewhere. I think it's just respectful to say, you know, we're planning to arrive roughly around this time, and then we're planning to leave, you know, on Monday morning or Saturday afternoon. or You know, to be respectful, to respect their, their plans, their privacy, their space. Just something to think about. Instead of leaving it open-ended, that way it's hard. 
It can be a, a stress on, on relationships. The last one, John 15, 13, Jesus said, Greater love hath no man than this, that, that a man lay down his life for his friends. True friendship is sacrificial. It's not selfish. Friends, friendship can be selfish. Not true friendship, but friendship can be selfish in that I'm going to be a friend with this person because I want something from them. It's something. And it can even be just the idea that, that this person you know, commends me and feeds my ego or whatever. That, that's selfish. It's not what I get, but what I can give. Friendships are difficult, and we talked about this as being most of them, they're mostly one-sided. But true friendship is sacrificial. Jesus said, to really understand friendship and love, to lay down your life. We don't literally, like the Anabaptists did, lay down our lives as a martyr for our brethren. There were those men who were pulled apart on the rack, stretched until they pulled limb from limb because they refused to name their brethren so that they would not be arrested. They would say, just tell us the names of your brethren and we'll stop. There were those that died because of that. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus, of course, illustrated that himself. Let's understand, let's continue to work in our own lives in relation to being those friends that God wants us to be in our homes and in the church, in society. Jesus is a friend who will always be the same yesterday, today, and forever. John 15, 12, This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath this than a man... Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. These things I command you, that you love one another. May God help us in our friendships. We enjoy friendships. I enjoy your friendship. Let's continue to grow in these friendships as we um, serve God together in the church. Let's kneel to pray. Father, we ask your blessing upon us as we realize the many principles of Scripture. Help us to know how to live our lives, to relate to each other. We thank you for the many good friends that have encouraged us and challenged us and helped us over the years. And we appreciate that. And may we be the friends to others that you want us to be in encouraging and helping them. And may, Father, we each understand the, uh, the friendship that we can have with you through Jesus Christ. That he is the friend of sinners. He is the friend of of those who need your salvation. And today the call still goes out to those who are uh, yet in need of finding repentance and finding salvation. And so, Father, we just pray your blessing upon each of us as we contemplate the serious things of life, who our friends are, what the influences are that are upon us. We are allowing in our lives that each of us would be careful to follow the scriptures, to follow your will and way, 
for each of us. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.